Well, hi, everybody. It's good to be with you again this weekend. This uh, coming September will mark my 28th year as the pastor of this church. If you're starting to get tired of me, uh, you're not the only one. I'm kind of getting tired of myself, too. But uh, seriously, it has been the greatest honor of my life to serve the Lord here uh, as your pastor. And it has been quite a ride. Uh, there have been a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Thankfully, there have been more ups than downs. But to be honest with you, in all my 28 years uh, here at South Bay Community Church, I've never experienced as much down as I have these last four and a half months. And uh, I want to give you free, a few reasons why. Not in any particular order, but the first one I thought of is, is this, and that's death. You know, I, I hate death. And uh, a number of people in our church have lost uh, family members and friends uh, in the last four and a half months. Some of them uh, to coronavirus, others for other causes. I think of a, a woman in our church, dear lady in our church, who lost her husband to COVID-19. Other people lost their fathers to the virus. I know somebody in our church who lost her sister-in-law, and someone on our staff who lost her brother-in-law, someone else on our staff who lost a cousin to the coronavirus. One of our elders lost his uncle. I know someone else who lost her aunt. One of my friends lost his dad to the coronavirus, and it's been heartbreaking. And then again, as I said, there have been other uh, causes of death um, that I'm aware of, and, and, and all of it, it's just been so very, very hard. And frequently, loved ones uh, will die all alone because their family are not allowed to be with them in the hospital. And then, after they pass away, uh, most of the, in most cases, a service uh, hasn't been held for them because of the, of the current lockdown. And, and, and that has just been so very, very sad. Second reason why I've been saddened um, these last four and a half months is because of all the people who've gotten sick. And recently, this uh, really hit close to home when someone in our church uh, who is very dear to us uh, was uh, tested positive. And he had to be hospitalized because he had a hard time breathing. And uh, I'm happy to report that he's home now, but the last week or so was absolute torture for him and his wife and his children. And uh, think about this. In order to communicate with the children, uh, the mom, the wife, had to, uh, to do so using FaceTime, even though they were in the room right next to her because she didn't want to expose them to the virus as well. And uh, so far, I believe that they're fine. But have, imagine having to FaceTime with your own children, and they really had to fend for themselves. And so uh, a number of people in our church dropped off meals so that they had something to eat, and, and we tried to care for them in that way. But this has been such a, a sad, sad time. And uh, it's also been heartbreaking because of the isolation that all of us have experienced. Uh, we're not able to hang out with our friends uh, and our family members. We can't share hugs and even high fives. I, I know that marriages have struggled through this. Parenting has been difficult and challenging. Many people have lost their jobs. Kids can't go to school. Uh, they can't play sports. 
Adults can't play sports. Families haven't been able to take vacations. And of course, even churches have had to close. And that saddens me to no end. And uh, we're very well aware of churches that have reopened. And we respect their decision to do so. But the reason we haven't reopened is because we are so concerned for your health. And uh, again, what happened just this last week has kind of driven that home for us. And the crisis today is worse than it has ever been. And as soon as the numbers start to trend downward rather than up, I promise you we will, we will begin to take steps to reopen. Uh, fourth, my heart has been broken because of what happened to George Floyd and the ensuing unrest and discord in our country. And I was really hoping that that would be an awakening, in a sense, for our country, and that people would begin to start loving each other. But instead, the opposite seems to be happening. And the hate seems to have hardened, and the hate has seemed to have ramped up, not only hate against African Americans, but against Asian Americans, hate against police officers, hate against anyone who doesn't share your political point of view, hate against our government leaders, um, and I've even seen pure, unadulterated hate directed at some pastors. And there's hate. There's hate if you say something on social media. There's hate for those who don't say something on social media. People hate you if you, someone tells you to wear a mask. They hate you for it, and people hate uh, those who don't wear a mask. People hate those who say that black lives matter, and they hate those who say that black lives don't matter, and that all lives matter. And uh, it is just getting out of hand. Uh, the other day, there was a road, road rage incident on the 605 freeway. I don't know if you heard about it, but one of the cars started pepper spraying the other car, and when that obviously didn't work, that passenger took out, or that driver took out a gun and started firing away. I mean, it, and evil seems to be winning the day, and it just saddens me to no end. You know, there's another thing that saddened me, and that is just that a lot of couples in our church who had planned to get married this year uh, had to postpone their wedding until next year, and that was really sad, and, and a lot of them have lost a lot of money. The deposits and all those things, in some cases, couldn't be refunded. And then others decided that they're going to get married anyway. And, and they did. And, uh, and, but they had to do so without having a large celebration that they'd always dreamed of having. And for those who got married, I mean, they're as happy as can be. And uh, here are a few of the couples that I'm aware of who got married uh, during the pandemic. And I want to present them to you, South Bay Community Church, for the very first time. First of all, I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Shane and Allison Inoue. I present to you Adam, Mr. and Mrs. Adam and Christiana Saar. Mr. and Mrs. Paul and Lila Johnson, who got married last weekend. I present to you, for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. David and Nicole Chang. And Mr. and Mrs. Tim and Jillian Loon. And finally, I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Ryan and Kaylee Garcia. That's probably the bright spot in these last four and a half months. Well, finally, it has saddened me that 
a spiritual revival hasn't broken out uh, during this time, and millions of people haven't turned their hearts over to Christ, the, the pandemic seems instead to have brought the worst out in people and not the best. And we even see the spiritual temperature of a lot of so-called believers beginning to cool, and that has just been so heartbreaking to see. And it is heartbreaking to think that there is no end in sight, no end in sight. And it begs the question, how do you stay positive? Right? How do you keep going on? How do you, how do you keep from giving in to total despair? Right? Well, grab your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament. Grab something to write with and some paper to write on. Better yet, if you can open up our South Bay Community Church app, uh, I want to encourage you to do that. If you don't have it, go, go to the Apple Store, the Play Store, and download it now because I think that you'll find the app particularly helpful today as I have a, a diagram I want to share with you, and I think it'll be helpful to, to have it right there. So turn to Titus uh, chapter 2. Titus was so named because it was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, who was one of his disciples. And if anyone was qualified to write what Paul wrote, it was him because, because this letter was written immediately, almost immediately after he was released from a two-year incarceration imposed on him by the Roman government. For 24 months, think about this, for 24 months, Paul was under house arrest for preaching the gospel. And, and here's what it was like. For two years, he was locked down. With a, with a Roman soldier, probably a couple of them, posted at his front door. He couldn't go outside. He, he couldn't go to the marketplace, even if he wore a mask. He didn't have a laptop to Zoom with his friends. He didn't have internet so he could watch Netflix. He didn't, have a, he didn't even have an old rotary phone to call his friends. Uh, he was simply surrounded by these four walls. And... And uh, during this pandemic, I think we've gotten a taste of what that might have been like, what that might have looked like for him. He was totally locked down. And you know what kept him going? He wrote about it in Titus chapter 2. He wrote about what kept him going. Take a look at Titus 2, verse 11 and 12. It says here, first of all, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. All right, I'm going to stop right there, right? First, he cited what God did. He referred to what God did in the past, and that is his grace appeared in the person of Jesus, his son, Jesus Christ, who brought salvation, it says, to all people. He cited what God did. And then Paul cited why God did what he did, why he gave us Jesus. And that's in verse 12. He gave us Jesus. He saved us. He brought salvation to all people in order to show us how to live our lives. Right? That's all spelled on verse 2. And then we come to verse 13, where he tells us what kept him going during his lockdown. Take a look at verse 13. And he wrote, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, what, Paul, what, what kept Paul going, what kept him going, was waiting for his blessed hope, the blessed hope of Jesus Christ, waiting for him to make a second appearance, waiting for him to return. What kept Paul going, 
from, and from giving up and throwing in the towel was the hope of Jesus' return. You see, ever since God sent his son the very first time, his people have been waiting for him to send him a second time. We've been waiting for him to come again. Hebrews 9, 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, which he did the first time, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. People are waiting for Christ. And then Philippians 3.20, Paul wrote, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so people have been waiting for Christ. And that was the hope that he had. That's what kept him going. And his reappearance, if you want to call it that, his reappearance uh, can refer to two different events, the rapture and the second coming. The rapture and the second coming, and I'll explain the difference between the two in just a moment. But I want to ask you, have you ever found yourself waiting for Christ to return? Have you found yourself wanting and longing for him to show up again? I sure have. Well, this weekend, we're kicking off a brand new series here called The Hope of His Coming. The Hope of Jesus' Coming over the next month or so. The topic of our weekend messages is going to be on the end times or the last days. And as you probably are aware of, there's been a lot of buzz about this on social media. With all the things that are going on, people are wondering whether or not we're living in the last days. In fact, the Billy Graham uh, Evangelistic Association reported at the end of May that Google searches for the word rapture and the, word end, the, the words end times were beginning to spike. Recently, an organization called Lifeway Research released findings of a survey, survey that was taken here at the beginning of the year, which found that nine out of 10 pastors, nine out of 10 pastors believe that the current events are lining up with biblical prophecy concerning the end times. So what do you think? Are we living in the last days? Our goal throughout this series will be to educate you on what the Bible says uh, on this important topic and to enlighten you on some of the things that are going on in the world today in order that you might be able to make sense of these times that we're living in and then live accordingly. Because that's what it's really all about, right? We need to live according to what the Scripture says. And so before I get started, I'm going to open up in a word of prayer. All right, let's pray together. Well, Father, these indeed are difficult times that we're living in. And we say it all the time. These last four and a half months have probably been the hardest that I've ever been through. And, and, and that probably rings true for perhaps most of the people who are listening and watching right now. But Father, how good it is to know that we have a blessed hope in you. That we have a blessed hope and that we can await, we can look to you and await for your appearing. We can, we can look to you and await for you to come back again. And today as we begin this new series, I pray that this would be a series that will bring us great hope. That you would help us to understand more clearly from your scriptures. How this entire end time scenario unfolds for us. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would speak to our minds. I pray that you would speak to our very souls, that we might live accordingly how you want us to live. So, Father, speak to us now. Bless our time together now. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, 
According to the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, which was written by a guy named J. Barton Payne, there are 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament, 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament, and there are 578 prophecies in the New Testament for a whopping total of 1,817 prophecies. I'll put that down here for you. There are 1,817 prophecies, um, many of which deal with the end times. You can find those in the Bible, right? Now, these prophecies are found in approximately 8,352 verses. The reason why it's found in so many verses is because oftentimes the same prophecy is contained in, in not just one verse, but multiple verses, right? Since there are roughly 31,124 verses in the Bible, depending on which translation you read, 31,124 verses in the Bible, uh, that means Bible prophecy constitutes approximately 26.8% of the Scripture. 26.8% of the Scripture We'll put that up here for you, which means a quarter of the Bible, nearly a quarter of the Bible is made up of prophecies, many of which deal with the end times and with the future. Now, the problem with biblical prophecies is that they are scattered all throughout the Bible. They're, they're everywhere. You can find them in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. They're scattered everywhere, and they are not presented in chronological order. They're not presented in sequential order, and that can lead to a lot of misunderstanding about what's supposed to happen when. And I'll give you an example of that in just a moment. But it, it takes a lot of study to figure out what happens first, what happens second, what happens next, what happens third, what happens fourth, and so on and so forth. And so, and so today, I, I simply want to unscramble the egg for you. I want to I begin by giving you a timeline for the, the, the last day's events, as, as I believe the Bible teaches. And I think that you'll find this to be helpful for the entire series. So this is really kind of, I'm just kind of laying the groundwork for the entire series. Okay, so it all starts with Jesus, all right? And it's represented by this tile. It begins with Jesus. Uh, and, and so on your app, just write Jesus in that first blank, write Jesus in the first blank. Approximately 2,000 years ago, God gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, came to earth, clothed in human flesh, performed miracles, proclaimed the kingdom of God, declared that he was the son of God. Three years later, he was crucified on a cross. Three days after his crucifixion, God raised him from the dead. Forty days later, he ascended into heaven. Ten days after that, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit down to earth, and the church was born. And the church age began. So in the second line, write the, words, uh, write the words church age. And that would be the second tile here. The second tile is the church age. The birth of the church is recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. It begins with Jesus and then there's the church. And we've been in the church age for about the last 2,000 years. And God has been present in the world. He's been present in the world through the church. He's been, in, he's been present in the world through you and me, through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The Bible says that one day, the church will come to a close. The church will cease to exist. Now, let me make something very, very clear. Governments, whether it's our own or someone else's, is not going to shut down the church. It's not going to shut down our church. Um, persecution and the coronavirus are not going to shut down the church. It's not going to wipe out the church. I heard just the other day that China is clamping down, cracking down on house churches and they've now made it illegal to pray to God. The government is not going to shut down the church. But one day the church will cease to exist 
because Jesus will come down from heaven and take the church home to be with him. And this event is described in a number of different places in the Bible. Let me just give you one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Take a look at it. 1 Thessalonians 4. And it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. The key to understanding this passage are the words caught up in verse 17. Well, you, why don't you just circle those two words, caught up. In the Greek, the word caught up, harpazo, means to snatch up. It means to snatch up or to seize. According to the Apostle Paul, one day Jesus is going to come down from heaven. He's not going to touch down on earth, but he's going to, somewhere between here and heaven, he's going to come down about halfway and in a very loud voice, he will command all those believers who have died over all these many centuries to rise. And their bodies will rise from their graves. And then all those Christians who are alive at the time that this happens will also rise. You'll be alive and you'll rise. And we will all meet Jesus in the air. And from that moment on, we'll be with him in heaven. And so in an instant, in an instant, the church as we know it will cease to exist on planet earth because we will be taken home to be with the Lord. There will, no, there will be no more believers on planet earth. And the event is referred to as the rapture. And by the way, come back next week. Pastor Greg is going to really unpack this for you even more. Talk about uh, what life will be like after the rapture. So don't miss that. But although, although the, the word rapture is not used in any of our modern Bible translations, it was used in the Vulgate, which is a Latin translation of the Bible. It was written about 1,600 years ago. It appears in the Vulgate. And the word, for some reason, it is stuck. It is stuck even to this day. And so it, it refers to the catching away of the church. And one day the rapture will come um, and take us home. Now the rapture will occur after the church age is done. All right, the church age closes, the rapture occurs, the church age closes. So that's the third tile. This is the rapture tile. In fact, you can write the word rapture in the next line. Now, the rapture is often confused with the second coming, but they are two different events, and, and I'll explain those in a little bit. But I want to ask you this question. Why, why does God rapture the church? Why does he take us home in the first place? Well, let me explain it this way. About a dozen or so, half a dozen or so years after uh, uh, Sharon and I got married, uh, I was awakened about 6 o'clock in the morning with a, with a loud noise that was uh, coming from, it seemed like it was coming from inside the house. And so uh, I heard this, it was like a scratching sound. Uh, and so I woke Cheryl, it also woke Cheryl up, and so she said to me, what's that? And I said, what's what? She said, I don't hear anything. And she says, what's that? I said, oh, that noise. I said, I said, um, I, said I didn't hear anything. And finally she said, yes, you do. She says, go check out and see what it is. And I said, no, it's, it's probably nothing. I said, you should go check it out. And she says, no, you go check it out. She pushed me out of the bed. And so I reluctantly and carefully walked down the hallway, uh, searching for what, what the, the, the noise was. I first peeked in Kylie's room, and it wasn't coming from there. And I peeked in Natalie's room, and it wasn't coming from there. As I approached the kitchen, the noise got louder. And so I peeked my head in the kitchen and I discovered that the sound was coming from above the stove inside the, the hood, the vent 
uh, above the stove. And I'm a pretty smart guy. And so I, and I have excellent deductive reasoning skills. And I came to the conclusion that there was something inside the hood above the stove and it was alive. Now, um, after I found out what it was or where it was coming from, I, I walked back to the bedroom and, and jumped back in bed. And Cheryl quickly started questioning me, well, what is it? Where is it coming from? What is it? And I said, well, I said, it's nothing. It's nothing. He says, it, I can still hear it. What is it? And I said, well, it's, it's alive. I go, she said, well, what is it? And I go, well, I, there's something alive inside the, the hood above the stove. And she, she demanded to know what it was. And I said, well, I don't know what it is. I said, it might be a bird. It might be a rat. And then, of course, she said, well, go get it. Go get it. And I told her it would be fine. I said, it'll be fine. It'll find its way out. If it got in there, it'll find its way out. Of course, I didn't think that was going to happen anyways. And so finally, she, uh, she mustered up enough courage to go out into the kitchen to take a look for herself. And she came back in a huff. She marched back in the bedroom. She got dressed, uh, went and grabbed the girls and, and left. And I'll never forget what she said on her way out. Her words are forever etched in my memory. I, I wrote the words down here for you. She said, quote, you need to spare me the distress of having that creature in our home. It better be gone by the time I get back. <laughs> so she left. And I knew when she spoke those words, I knew that I was in big trouble. I was in big trouble. And I needed to do something fast. So you know what I did? I called her dad. I called her dad. I mean, oh, God bless Haru Shiro. I mean, I don't know what I'd do without him. And uh, he showed up about a half an hour later. He uh, checked out the situation, cracked open the hood above the stove, and out flew a little black bird. Looked just like this one right here. And it had these beady little eyes. It was the cutest thing. And it flew around the house. It flew around the living room. It made that, down, went down the hallway, flew into Kylie's room, flew into Natalie's room, and then it flew into our bedroom and landed on Cheryl's pillow. pillow. I never told her that. And it left a little present for her. I think, I think the bird must have known that she wasn't, she wasn't very kind to it. And it finally opened the sliding glass door, and out it flew, and it was gone. And boy, was I relieved. I was so relieved, and I was proud of myself that I spared my wife the distress of having that creature in our home, and I spared myself the distress of her being distressed. But toward the end of his ministry, Jesus explained the purpose of the rapture. Here's what he said, Matthew 24, starting verse 21. And this is in the NIV translation. Jesus said, for then there will be a great distress. There will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Let me read it to you in the ESV translation. For then there will be great tribulation. Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Here in, in the ESV, the word distress in the NIV has been translated to the word tribulation. Great tribulation, in fact. Why don't you circle great tribulation, verse 21. And then in verse 22, circle cut short. Jesus said that a period and a time of great tribulation and, and distress was coming upon the earth. And he said it would be so bad, it would be so bad that unless 
your life was cut short. In other words, unless you were taken out of it, you wouldn't survive it. And so he said in verse 22 that those days will be cut short for the sake of the elect. And, and the elect refers to Christ followers. That would be you and me. And so the purpose of the rapture was to take out the elect, to remove Christ followers from the world so that they might escape having to go through the period of distress, that great tribulation which follows the rapture. And so that's the next tile. What follows the rapture is the great tribulation. And you can write great tribulation in the next line. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because I'm going to cover it in a couple of weeks. But there's just a couple of things I want you to know uh, for, for our purposes today. And, and that is the great tribulation, according to the scriptures, will last seven years. Will last seven years. The central figure of the great tribulation, the main character of the great tribulation will be the Antichrist, also known as the beast, who will be the ruler of the entire world. And I'll get into more detail on that uh, in a couple of weeks as well. It's wild. It is wild. The second thing I want you to know about the great tribulation period is that it is a time of unprecedented suffering and calamity. To quote what the Lord said in Matthew 24, 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Of the great tribulation, the prophet Jeremiah lamented in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, how awful that day will be. None will be like it. There will be nothing like the great tribulation. Nothing can ever compare to it. There will, there, there's never been a time like it, and there will never be a time like it afterwards. It will be horrific. And uh, what we're going through today is going to seem like paradise compared to the tribulation. And by the way, Revelation 6 through 19 is an account of some of the horrible things that will take place during the great tribulation period. If you want to read it for yourself, if you have a difficult time understanding it, then you might want to listen to our series on Revelation. We cover every one of those chapters. We did this a few years ago. And uh, you can find our series on Revelation on our YouTube channel, SBCC Live. If you just go to SBCC Live on YouTube, scroll down a few clicks, and you'll find all the messages there. And if you get it, you'll get a blow-by-blow -blow account of what exactly is going to happen during the Great Tribulation period. Well, finally, the Great Tribulation period comes to a close with the Battle of Armageddon. It's described for us in Reve uh, Revelation 16. Let me read verse 16 to you. And it says, And they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, right? And a prophecy in the book of Zechariah puts it this way, on that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. All right, so according to scriptures, all the nations of the world, all the nations of the world will gather, will led by the Antichrist, will gather in, a, in the valley of Megiddo. Megiddo. Uh, we had a chance to visit that place uh, on our trip to Israel last November. They will gather there to attack Jerusalem at the end of the Great Tribulation. It's the Battle of Armageddon. And just when Israel is about to be wiped off the face of the map, Jesus comes to the rescue. Take a look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. And it says, And then will appear in heaven the sign the son of, of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus. They will see him coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And Zechariah 14.3 says, And then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. 
And so what the verse, the, these verses are telling us, that the Lord Jesus will come, he will fight the enemies of God, and he will wipe them out. It's not even a fight. He will wipe them out. Right? And this is the second coming of Christ. And that's the next tile. The great tribulation leads to the second coming. And you can write second coming in the next line. Once again, the rapture is not the second coming. You can see they're two distinct, separate events. One occurs uh, before the great tribulation. It actually kicks off the great tribulation. The second one comes at the end of the great tribulation period. Second coming, first the rapture and then the second coming. Well, after Christ returns, the Antichrist and his sidekick, the false prophet, are cast into hell. Uh, the devil is seized, thrown in the abyss for a thousand years. And apparently the abyss is not the same as hell because after a thousand years, Satan will get out of the abyss and he will try to deceive the world again. But God will capture him uh, and for the last time cast him into hell where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And when Satan and the Antichrist... Uh, with them finally out of the way, Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth in Jerusalem, and he reigns, and he rules and reigns for a thousand years, and this is referred to as the millennial reign or the millennium, and that's spelled out in Revelation 20, and that would be the next tile. You can see it here, and you can write down millennium on the next line. All right, write down millennium on the next line. Finally, when Christ's thousand-year reign is over, Heaven will literally come down to earth. Revelation 21 calls it the new Jerusalem. This is heaven, the city of God, and that's where we will live forever and ever and ever in the new Jerusalem. And I want to just read this description of our future home to you. Revelation 21, starting in verse 2, John wrote, And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Oh my goodness, this is so good. This is so good. And in fact, today I want, I want to encourage you sometime this week, read the entire chapter, Revelation 21. If you're down and you're discouraged and you're ready to throw it down, read Revelation 21. And if that doesn't pump you up, nothing will. Nothing will. The new Jerusalem is your final tile. You can write new Jerusalem in the last line there. And when you line up all the tiles, when you connect them all, starting with Jesus and then the church and the rapture and the great tribulation and the second coming and then the millennium and, and the new Jerusalem, it looks like this. It's right here. First, there's Jesus followed by the church age. That's where we're at today. And then that first big event called the rapture, the great tribulation during which the Antichrist will rule. And that's when God will bring judgment on the earth. The second coming will come at the end of the Battle of Armageddon, the millennial reign of Christ, and then the new Jerusalem, heaven on earth. You know, as I mentioned at the top of my message, the problem with biblical prophecies is, is that they're scattered all throughout the Bible. They aren't in chronological order. Therefore, when you read, read a particular end-time prophecy, 
unless you know where it fits in the timeline, it's easy to misinterpret what it's saying. Let me give you an example. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, take a look at it. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. All right? The gospel of the kingdom of God will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And then the end will come. See, a lot of Christians will read this verse and come to the conclusion that the rapture isn't going to happen because yet, it isn't going to happen yet because the gospel hasn't been proclaimed to the whole world. And that's true. The gospel has not been proclaimed to the whole world. There's still billions of people who've never heard the gospel, have no clue who Jesus is, right? The problem with their conclusion is that this verse isn't about the rapture. This verse is about the great tribulation. If you study Matthew 24, which is where this verse comes from, and you look at the context, you'll discover that Jesus was speaking about the great tribulation. And therefore, this is about, this refers to the second coming of Christ. And during the great tribulation, the, during the great tribulation, the gospel will be proclaimed to the whole world. And then the end will come. The second coming will take place. Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us that the great tribu- during the Great Tribulation, the gospel will be proclaimed to the whole world through two special witnesses who have incredible powers and through 144,000 Jews. They will proclaim the gospel. And in addition, the gospel will be proclaimed through a flying angel. Yeah, believe it or not, a flying angel. Revelation 14.6. I've got that verse here for you. And it says, and then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation and tribe and language and people. Notice the word every. The angel will single-handedly proclaim the good news of Jesus to the whole world, to every nation, to every tribe and every language, and then the end will come. That's where this verse uh, applies, right? So it's important to understand context and timeline whenever you read uh, a a prophecy in the Bible, all right? So take a look at the timeline again, all right? Here's the timeline. So where are we at? We're right here. We're right in the church age, right? Which begs the question, when will the rapture occur, right? Uh, How close are we to the rapture? Uh, and, And here's another question that people have been asking. Is the coronavirus a sign that the rapture is imminent, right? Well, let me answer that last question first, all right? Is the coronavirus a sign that the rapture is close by? And the answer is no, because the Bible doesn't say that before the rapture occurs, there's going to be a pandemic or pestilence on earth. It doesn't say that. In fact, Pastor David Jeremiah put it this way. He said the rapture is a signless event, meaning nothing has to happen for the rapture to occur. The rapture could occur tonight. The rapture could occur right this very moment. It could happen this week. Nothing has to happen for, before the rapture to occur. And, and so far as the answer to the second question is concerned, how close are we to the rapture? Well, you're going to have to come back next week, maybe the week after that, to maybe get an idea of how close we are. Let me just say this. If there's anything these last four and a half months have shown us, it is this, that first, it has shown us that literally overnight, literally overnight, the world can be brought to its knees. The entire world can be brought to its knees. And we are fragile. 
Our bodies are fragile. Nations are fragile. Our economy is fragile. Even the physical earth is fragile. And during the Great Tribulation, the entire world will be brought to its knees. And this pandemic has shown us that in an instant, the entire world can be brought to its knees. Second, the events of the last four and a half months have shown us that what the Bible says will happen in the last days will happen. It can and will happen. For the first time, it is possible to see why people would think that we need one leader to rule the entire world. It's possible to see why people would think that. And as our world has plunged deeper and deeper into sin, it is possible to see why God would allow for there to be a great tribulation wherein he would judge the entire world. And the only hope, the only hope that we have is not in whether we find a vaccine. Uh, Our hope is not in who we elect to be the next president of the United States. Our only hope is Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. And that's why we should look to his coming. We should keep our eyes up looking toward him. And we must be ready. We must be ready for his coming. Uh, Matthew 24, 44, last verse. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We must be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let me close with this. In March of 1980, there's a moderate earthquake in the Pacific Northwest registered 4.1 on the Richter scale. Um, Force rangers were advised of a possible <clears throat> volcanic eruption, and, uh, but most people didn't seem to, to be concerned at all. March 27th, um, a ranger heard what he thought was a sonic boom. Area was rattled by another earthquake. Geologists were called in. And they concluded that Mount St. Helens was about ready to blow and that everybody in the vicinity needed to evacuate as soon as possible. Somebody who lived on the mountain was this fellow right here. His name was Harry Truman, like the president, Harry Truman. And he didn't believe a word the geologist said. He said, quote, nobody knows more about this mountain than me and it it don't dare blow up on me is what he said. It don't dare blow up on me. Well, days passed, weeks passed, evidence was beginning to mount. There were more, there were more earthquakes, there were more rumblings, uh, eruption was imminent. Finally, sheriff deputies came to take Harry away, and he said to them, he said, quote, I'm having a great time living my life alone. I'm king of all I see. I got plenty of whiskey. I've got food for 15 years. I'm sitting high on the hog, and he didn't budge. He didn't budge. On Sunday... May 18th, 1980, Mount St. Helens in Washington State blew, and boy, did it blow. The force of the blast was so great, destroyed everything around it for miles, and the power of Mount St. Helens, the eruption was 500 times greater than the atom bomb that destroyed Hiroshima. Several, several years after the eruption, I had an opportunity to travel up to Mount St. Helens. And I saw it from my very first eyes, my very own eyes. And I, I went to the visitor center there, came across this marker at the visitor center. It was a monument to Harry Truman, who died that day, and I don't believe his body was ever found. He died because he refused to believe the warning signs. 
Unfortunately, there are a lot of people like Harry Truman. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe he's coming again. But he is. He is coming again. He may or may not come in our lifetime. But make no mistake about it, Jesus is coming again. Let me ask you something. Have you been down? Have you been discouraged? Have you been disheartened? Have you been depressed? Have you been anxious? Because so many bad things are happening in your life? Don't be. Don't be. Look up. Look to the heavens. Because our blessed hope is coming. He surely is. Let's close our time in prayer. You know, as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want to ask you a very simple question. Do you believe that Jesus came? And do you believe he's coming again? If you don't, if you don't believe, believe today. Just say, God, help me to believe. Don't be like Harry Truman. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus because he came 2,000 years ago to die on a cross for your sins and he's coming again. Perhaps if we happen to be alive, if we're fortunate to be alive, he's coming to take us home. And if he doesn't come in the rapture, one day when our heart beats the last time, he'll come to take us home to be with him then. Either way, we win. Either way, we'll see Jesus. Why don't you pray right now? If you don't believe, why don't you pray right now and just say to him, Dear God, I believe in you. I believe Jesus was your son. And I want to confess that I'm a sinner. And I have offended you in the way that I've lived, in the way that I've carried out my life, in my attitudes, in my actions. And I ask you to forgive me. And I declare right now, that Jesus was your son, that he died on a cross for my sins. I receive you now into my life. Give me the gift of eternal life, Lord, and help me now to live for you. I hope you pray that prayer. And if you have, you have nothing to worry about. And if you're down, keep looking up, because Jesus is coming. Father, thank you for the promise of your coming. Thank you for giving us hope And in a time when it just seems so hopeless, there is hope because of you and your coming one day. And Father, thank you for the hope you give us. Help us, God, to take our eyes off of all the things around us. Help us to set our eyes on you and the hope of your coming. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.